find your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This morning, when you uh, walked through those doors, did you ever just consider, how did you end up in a church like this? If you're a Christian, have you ever really given some thought as to how did you actually come to hear the gospel, to understand it, and to a place where you're actually believing? Chances are that God used people to make entrance with the gospel, to speak with you. When I think about my own life, I started hearing the gospel when I was a junior in high school. And it was a series of a lot of different people uh, in different parts of the country even talking with me about the reality of Jesus and who he is. And I'm eternally grateful. I get an opportunity to kind of share my story in a lot of different venues. And uh, I'm always referencing these people that cared enough about God and about me to actually talk with me about the things that are of actually most importance. One of the things I think you're going to understand is that people are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. If I only had one verse to pick out of the scriptures to talk about how does the gospel go forth, verse 5 of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians would be the verse that I'd pick. It's, It's right there in one verse. It explains how the gospel actually made entrance into Thessalonica amidst all the hostility and all the difficulty. It's all spelled out, their game plan, in one verse. So let me just read it there. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So how does the gospel go forth? Very simply. With our words and our way of life. But look specifically. Notice what he said, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it most certainly came with words. It was explained. It was talked about. And remember what we saw in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3? Paul, this was his practice, and it's actually recorded in the early history. He says this. It's written, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. So what they did is Paul, Silas, Timothy, because of their Jewish background, they went to synagogues. And as a visiting rabbi, he had the opportunity not only to read the scriptures, but to explain them. And what they did with the Jewish people is explain how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. Now, it's interesting because most Jews kind of expected a Messiah who would be a military conqueror like David. And he was going to clean house with the Romans, get the yoke of Rome off them, and emancipate them so they could live as they wanted without Romans occupying their land and their lives. What Paul made special emphasis of is, just like that text, to show that the Messiah must suffer and that he would die and that he'd be resurrected. And that's not what the Jews were expecting, but that's what the promises that were given in the Old Testament were speaking of. And so he showed this is indeed what has happened in Jesus. So that's what he did. But once that that lasted for three Sabbaths, after that, the Jews had had enough. 
Some of them believed, but many of them said, we don't want this Jesus to be our Messiah. And so Paul started bringing the gospel into the public forum, into the marketplace, and he started talking to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, and bringing the gospel to them. And when we talk about the words like, like gospel, that might be like a new word for you. You, know, like you might be thinking, like, gospel isn't like a type of music and I'm not really overly crazy about, or maybe you really like it. Well, actually, the word gospel comes from our Anglo-Saxon word Godspell means God's story. And when we refer to the gospel, it is the good news of all that God has done, is doing, and will do through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. And evangelism is merely bringing the good news of salvation from sin and genuine relationship with God through faith in Christ. Okay, The gospel isn't good news of instruction on just how to live and how to clean up your life and how to have a better life. The gospel is the good news of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. He lived a perfect life. He died the perfect sacrifice for sins. And he rose again to authenticate to the world that indeed he is God. And when Jesus, after he was resurrected, he commanded, it wasn't suggested, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go And I want you to go to all the nations, and I want you to make disciples of them. You have them baptized, identify with me, and I want you to teach them everything that I've given you. That is the Great Commission. If you are alive today, and you are a believer, this is what God has entrusted to you, to do just that. See, the church is really all about proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. We want to see people brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ. So, what do you do? How do you talk about this? What do you need to cover? Like, for instance, you're a Christian. Most of you here are believers. What exactly are you trying to talk with others about? What, do you, what are the co- topics you feel like are most important? What's essential to cover? Well, let me give you what I think are four issues that must be explained and understood. First thing is that you need to understand significance. You see, uh, we are created by God, for God, to know God, and to enjoy Him forever. In fact, God has actually created us in His image, which means that to a limited degree, we share the likeness of God in like attributes like He's relational, personable, He has the ability to think, choose, love, feel, respond, initiate, act. Well, we as humans, because we're created in the image of God, we reflect his character. And to a limited degree, this is how we function and live. And so you see this very early on in the scriptures, Genesis 1:27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God created mankind. Now, I'm a chaplain for the Baylor men's golf team. And uh, we got started last week. And uh, so I had players, coaches, and so I thought I would just ask like a real softball question just to get the conversation going. So I said, hey, so guys, what is the object of golf? And I'm thinking, let's spit it out, right? And uh, there was like this kind of silence, like an awkward silence. And I'm thinking like, this is going to be a really long season. If, if you guys don't know what the object of golf is, man, this is going to be sorry. Okay. Well, then a couple of players kind of spoke up, and like one of them said, well, it's, it's to hit the ball into the hole. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. They hit that little ball into that little hole, and then one of the brand-new guys 
said, and to do it in as few of strokes as possible. All of a sudden, the coaches are happy and smiling because they got it. But players seem to understand what the object of golf is. The object of golf isn't to, like, show up with, like, these really cool clothes on, right, and to uh, have these, like, really expensive golf clubs and have perfect form and they looking so good when you do it, and then to hit that ball right into the trees or into the sand or into the water. I mean, you can look really good at that, but, friends, if you're aiming for the trees or the sand or the water, you've missed the whole purpose and the goal of golf. That's not what it's about. It's the object is to take that little ball and hit it into that little hole and to do it as in few strokes as possible. Friends, life is like that. If you're hitting for anything other than the glory of God and to know Him and to enjoy Him, you're about the equivalent of hitting a golf ball into the water and thinking like, man, I'm really golfing good. I got great form. I look good doing it. Friends, you've completely missed it. You see, we're created for significance. We're created to know God, to enjoy Him, to have relationship with Him. And it's really instructive when you look at the book of Acts and see how did Paul go about sharing the gospel? When he was with Jews, he was always demonstrating that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah, that he'd suffer, die, and he would rise again. He'd be the one that'd pay for our sins. But with the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, he always began with God the Creator, and that He created you. You see, if, you're, if you weren't Jewish, you had no knowledge whatsoever of the Hebrew Scriptures that God has actually given to humanity. And so He would begin at the beginning. So you see that like when He's in Lystra, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 17, He's in Athens. He's on Mars Hill where all these philosophers would debate. He's surrounded by all these little Greek gods and goddesses and temples. And they want to find out what this idle babbler has to say about this Jesus and this resurrection that he keeps talking with people about. And so listen to how he begins. Acts 17, beginning in verse 24. Here's Paul speaking to all of these, many of them skeptics. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. you see that? He's pointing out God created everything you see, the seen and unseen. He created you. And you start from there. You see, we're, we're created for significance. In fact, God has actually placed within each person this God-shaped hole. It's like a vacuum that is meant to be filled with his presence and to know him. And yet... The problem is, we're trying to fill it with anything but Him. Every single person has a longing for a sense of identity, peace, purpose, wholeness. It's like Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We're meant to know God. There's, our life is like void without Him. So when you talk with people, you talk about significance, that you are made by God for God, to know God, to enjoy God. Let me give you another, I would say, important issue and say critical issue when you explain the gospel. And that is the word sin. Three letters. Powerful word. You see, the word sin means to miss the mark. It comes from ancient Greek archery. So like if you were shooting at game or shooting at a target and you missed the bullseye, it was called 
sin. It is to miss the perfect mark. You and I are created for God, to know God, to love God. That's how life is designed. And yet, we're trying to live life apart from Him. This God-shaped void, we're trying to fill it with pretty much anything but Him. And this can be, you know, when you hear the word sin, sometimes people are like, like, ooh, like really serious stuff, and things that I probably haven't done, right? Like murder someone, or rape, right? Sin. But actually, sin could be, it's, it's widespread. It could be like that act of rebellion. You know those people that are just kind of shaking their fist at God, right? They got this big attitude toward God. But sin is also just kind of a passive indifference. Like, yeah, I could care less. It's good for you, not for me. That, that's all missing the mark. It comes in every shape, size, and form. And reality says that because of this God-shaped void in our life this, that we're made for Him, what happens is you and I, we try to fill it with anything but Him. Let me give you some common ones. We're going to like find our sense of well-being and identity and security and importance in like our business or our family or sports or some relationship or some sexual experiences outside of marriage or pornography or acquiring money or entertainment or privilege or recognition or power, or just, just being religious. Man, if I'm just religious, that's going to fill this, this vacuum for God. Friends, that all misses the mark. You and I are created for Him to truly know Him. And anything that you're filling your life with that's apart from God is missing the point. It's very interesting, just like when we went through the book of Romans. Remember in Romans chapter 2, we saw that God has given every single person a conscience. A conscience is a warning mechanism that goes off anytime you violate your highest understanding of right and wrong. And it's meant to show you that what you're doing isn't right. It's wrong. It shows you deficiencies. And that conscience, it brings about guilt when you violate it. It's meant to point you back to God, to show you're missing it. This isn't right. And so when you talk about sin, I mean, you look and see, like in Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have. When you talk to people about Jesus, don't ever come across like, Hey, man, I'm perfect, and you've got some real issues, and I'm here to help you and to win you to my side. No, we're all sinners. All of us. And like it says in Romans six twenty three at the beginning of the verse, for the wages of sin is death. Not only have we inherited a condition from Adam that we are sinners because of the fall, we manifest our sinful nature all the time. And, it, and there's the wages of sin is death. Death is a separation. It is a spiritual death. And that's our condition. And we all have it. Now, um, how many of you have a, a little scorpion issue or have had a scorpion issue at your home? I was just kind of curious. Any? You do, yes. And you might live in China Spring, right? Okay, because that's kind of what I find is that these scorpions, they, these are lovely little armored creatures, right? Okay, no, they're not. Of course, I see some of you like, no, I really don't like the scorpions, especially like when they're living in your shoe and you put your foot in there like, ah, right? And they bite you and they sting and they bite your kids. You might be going to the ER because this, they're terrible, and you would really like them eradicated from your home, right? And, you know, during the daylight, you can kind of see them. Like, look at that thing. He's going across the... And they're just super ugly, right? <laughs> but at night, in the cover of darkness, they can take over. And they've got tons of relatives, okay? And they, and they can quickly take over. And you're like, what do I do? I can't even see them. Do you know this? 
that if you take ultraviolet light, you know, black light, and you shine it, that they actually glow a light blue. They look like this, okay? So what happens is they've got this in their exoskeletons, these chemicals, that when ultraviolet light hits it, they glow this light blue, and you can get them. You don't want to just squish them. You want to completely remove them from your house. You see, scorpions are kind of like sin. And you and I, we, uh, we sin all the time. And when the light of God's word, when God shows us this is the way, this is how to live, you're made for me, and we're going any, any direction, we're like just growing under the ultraviolet light of his word, and it shows we've missed it. And God wants to address the sin issue. But you've got to understand, first of all, that you're a sinner. And don't you see the manifestations in your life? I mean, think of it. I mean, think of like your disregard for God or your lying or your immorality or uncontrolled anger or your mean-spirited attitude or your coolness toward people or your judgmental attitudes or your self-centeredness. It really, it's kind of like scorpions. And, and you've got to like poison yourself, but you poison everybody else around. Friends, this is all sin. And that leads us really to the third issue. Once you understand that you're a sinner, and we all are, then you can really grasp this word, Savior. You see, Jesus Christ is God's one and only payment for sin and means of knowing God. Savior. Like, it's like in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has such a tremendous love that even while we are completely living alienated from him, just out there sinning, missing the mark, whatever that might look like, religious or just blatantly out there, God demonstrates his love for us and he sends Jesus. And he dies in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want real relationship with God, and that is what you're designed for, I'm it. You trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, Jesus not only makes an appearance on the earth, but he dies and pays the penalty for our sin on the cross and to authenticate to the world that he is God and he genuinely can bring about salvation and real experience with God, he rises from the dead. You know, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, this is a colossal waste of time. Your faith in Jesus is a big waste. But if he has risen, and indeed he has, he genuinely can give you spiritual life. That leads to the fourth issue. You not only talk about significance, that you're made for significance and sin, but you talk about the Savior and salvation. Salvation, it's not just enough to know this like intellectually or to have some sort of emotional experience. Salvation comes by faith alone, by truly trusting in Christ, committing your life to him as both God and Savior, Lord and Savior. And like just like Paul said in Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Anyone who is capable of believing and does believe experiences salvation. You believe who he is and what he's done. And when we do, God literally enters into our life. We're sealed by the Spirit, and we actually have genuine spiritual life. We are a Christian by virtue of the fact that we've been united with Christ, and we are a new creature. 
So just like, remember that Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. You can't earn it, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this is the gospel. This is what you would cover, and this is what you talk about and discuss, interact with. But you need to be engaged in the process. Somebody engaged you, didn't they? You could probably write them down. I have a whole list of people in different parts of the country that engaged me with the gospel. And so you enter into a conversation. And now you're going to find, as you get to know people, some people have, like most people, have some pretty serious issues. We could call them felt needs. They got struggles about finances and career and relationships and with their spouse and with their kids and or they're looking for a spouse and they got fear and they got anxiety and they're discouraged. These are felt needs. These are real issues that people are facing and going through. You talk about them, but felt needs bring us to what we could call foundational needs. Our need to really know God, to see God transforming and at work in our life. So how do you actually start a conversation about Christ? If you and I are supposed to do this, right? We're the Christians. We're the ambassadors of Jesus. What? How do you start a conversation? Well, I'll give you some simple principles. First of all, you want to be ready. You need to not only know Christ, but you need to be very familiar with the gospel. It's going to be really hard to share the gospel if it's not kind of clear in your own head. But also, you want to be real. Have no pretenses or kind of air of superiority. Like, I got it together, and I'm really trying to help you get your act together, and I want to win you to my side. None of that. No. You want to just, you want to be real. Really, you talk about we are all sinners. We all need to experience salvation by grace, okay? And let me also encourage you to be relational. Let me give you a couple words. Be caring and respectful. Show that you you truly can demonstrate love to a person. You actually really care about them. And always be respectful. If you are not, you close down the conversation. It's not because the gospel isn't good news. It's frankly, you're a bad representative. So you just be real. And you be relational. And you be redemptive. You focus on our sinfulness and the fact that Christ alone brings salvation. I will tell you this. The one who is looking for the opportunity will most likely find it. I can assure you, you and I all have opportunities all around us. But oftentimes, we're not even looking for them. We're just kind of doing life. But yet, we've been entrusted with this gospel. So, for instance, I know that some of you have been dove hunting. And you've been sitting around and got your buddies there. And for the last two days, your dove decoys have not really produced any results. And you haven't seen a single dove. And you're standing there with your buddy the whole time, sitting down, looking around, talking, eating a bunch of food. Well, guess what? You could actually use that as an opportunity after you've pretty much exhausted every subject known to mankind, right? To actually enter into a conversation. What are you talking? You could go, when you go to Starbucks, and you're hanging out. When, if you're a hairdresser, you have a captive audience right there. You know what I'm saying? They can't go anywhere, right? And if they try to, you can spray water on their face. What, you, have, you have opportunity. I didn't pass that on to you. You thought of that yourself, right? You have opportunity, though, to engage people. And, and these situations are all around. You might be surprised. Family gatherings. One lady told me, like, she's super excited. We talked about this because she was here at first service. She's going to a wedding. Well, she's also going to the wedding now with eyes open and she's prepared. There are opportunities everywhere. 
You're in your neighborhood for a reason. God has given you your job, not only to fulfill his calling of your ministry there, but to be a representative of him. Chances are there's people that you're working with that need to hear Christ. Sometimes people tell me like they're the only Christian on their shift or in their office. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty serious, man. God entrusted just you and like you're like the one Navy SEAL we got there. Whoa, that's pretty good. They're kind of thinking like that's a bad situation. I'm kind of thinking like, wow, you got an awesome responsibility. But they're everywhere, Uh, especially looking for when people are having difficulty or even like a, an experience that they're close to death, okay? Some these difficult situations or health issues, they have a way of bringing a lot of focus on the things that are most important. Uh, this week I had a little plumbing problem, and I needed to find a plumber, and I got a referral, so I, I, I called this guy, and uh, um, I explained my situation, and he goes, well, I, I can't help you. I've had this really big blood clot, and I almost died, and my doctors say, I've, I've got to lay low. And he says, you might want to try this. And uh, I said, oh, uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll try it, and I'll call you back and tell you it goes. So, I mean, I usually I mess things up when I try to fix them. I felt super good when it actually worked. I'm like, I ran and told Karina right away, look, I, I fixed it, you know what I mean? And I, I called this guy back. And I was talking, I really thanked him. I said, I'm going to have plumbing issues in the future, and I'm definitely going to call you. But tell me a little bit about what's been going on. And so he kind of opens up about this. And guess what it led to? An opportunity to talk about a real important issue. Like, what if, what if that was your final day? Now, it turns out this guy is a believer, and he's got some different church experience. But it gave an opportunity to really clarify the importance of the gospel and of knowing Christ. Friends, they're kind of all around us. So let me, what I wanted to do is I just want to give you like my, my favorite questions to ask, the ones that I find that are most effective in just starting a conversation about Christ. And this one always surprises me, but it generally leads to good results and good conversations. And that is, hey, so do you go to church anywhere? And, and it's just interesting how that seems to open up an avenue of talking. And you listen, and then, you know, you can just say, you know, I used to think that Christianity was just a religion, but I found that it's really a relationship with Christ. Let me give you another one. This question, what is your spiritual background? And you listen. You listen to what they have to say. And then you could ask, has anybody ever shared with you how you can have a real relationship with God? How about this, these questions? These are called the Kennedy questions. D. James Kennedy uh, made them famous. Um, former pastor, he's passed away. But these are great questions. And, and they just, you just kind of lead out with this. Like, hey, are you up for a couple of good questions? And if you see, like, any hesitation, you say, you look like a really smart guy, a really sharp gal. They will always say, well, well yeah, because now they've got to prove to you that they're sharp or smart, right? Like, well, okay, yeah. And so you just ask them this, you know, first question, if you were to die tonight on a scale of 0 to 100, how certain are you that you would actually go to heaven and be in God's presence? And you just listen to them. And then you ask them this second question. You know, like, and you, you assure them you hope that they didn't die, okay, just to make that clear. But then you say, you know, well, if that were to happen, and you were to stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into my presence, into my heaven? What would you say? Most people are like, man, I, I, I've, I've never thought about that. And they will tell you, and it'll be super revealing. They'll start saying things about, like, well, they were, they've done some really good things. Uh, they were a part of a church. Uh, they follow the Ten Commandments. They don't really know the Ten Commandments, and they don't know where they're on the Bible, but they followed them, and they, and they say these things, and you listen intently. 
And really, it gives you an opportunity to tell them, like, let me just tell you biblically how you could answer those questions and know for certain. I remember sharing this with one lady, very educated, sharp gal. I asked her these two questions. She goes, I don't, I don't know the answer to those questions. How would you answer them? I'm like, well, glad you asked. You're going to find, you ask someone a question, they may ask you just to repeat that question. You know, if you ask someone like, hey, what do you think about the Cowboys? Then they're going to ask you, what do you think about the Cowboys, right? And it, and it just kind of works that way. You just do it in very natural ways. Here's just another question. You can just ask, hey, what do you do with your free time or on your weekends? And then you could just follow it up with the first question. Hey, wait, do you go to church anywhere? And you just ask him this. Um, remember this, guys. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. That's all we're doing, right? We're just called to be faithful. Another question that's really effective, and this is especially if you've known someone for a while and you've got a relationship with them, it's just like, you know, ask this person, what do you really believe about God and the purpose of life? I mean, what do you really believe about? And just listen. You're going to find that these are going to be great questions to start engaging with the gospel. Now, let me give you some effective ways of actually sharing the gospel. We've talked about what the gospel is. We've talked about ways of starting a conversation. Let me just give you some effective ways of sharing the gospel. The best way that I have found is your personal testimony of how you came to really know Jesus in a personal way. I mean, it's, it's not open for debate. It's, it's actually what happened to you. And there's always three elements to a good testimony. Life before you came to know Christ, how you personally came to put your trust and faith as Jesus, as your Savior and Lord, and then how you started to grow in your relationship with Jesus, like reading the Word and, and praying and being involved in a good church and, and learning to serve. And just, just be real. Just tell them what's been going on in your life. Um, you, as a Christian you really need to have some key Bible verses down, okay? If you're going to share the gospel, you might want to know, like, John 3.16. Now, it's great if you can read it, but you probably should have it memorized. Let me give you a few more. John 14.6, Romans 6.23, and Ephesians 2.8.9. All of these verses just kind of explain the gospel very simply. And it's important that you should be able to just articulate them from the Word. Let the Word of God do its work. Um... You might have like a little booklet, like there's the bad news, good news booklet. I mean, they're always available out there. And you just hand someone. There's like a little pamphlet. talks about the bad news that we're sinful, the good news that Jesus has come, and he's paid the penalty for sin, and you believe in him, you can have real relationship with him. And I like to focus on how you can have relationship with God. Uh, I know that there seems to be a strong emphasis on how you can go to heaven, but that's almost self-serving. Like, well, here I am. I'm in Waco. Can't get much better than this, but you know when I die, I want to go someplace really good. I would like to go to heaven because that, that makes me feel good and I want to go to a real nice place. That's all good and stuff, but really it's about knowing God. And what makes heaven great is not just the streets of gold. That's going to be real cool to ride your bike on, right? But I tell you, what makes heaven great is the presence of God, right? And we're going to eternally be allowed and worshiping Him. So emphasize that. Uh, one of the ways that I've found to be very effective uh, in explaining the gospel is using a letter. Um, I've written numerous letters explaining my testimony or relationship with God. I've done it with cousins, my brothers. Um, I, when I was in the insurance world, I actually sent letters to clients at different times, especially when they told me that they were going into a crisis or having some sort of difficulty. Uh, this is something I've shared before. I know a lot of you have actually done this. Uh, this becomes really important. You know, when someone passes away, there's always like, 
man, I wish I would have been such a chicken or so fearful. Or I wish, you know, I heard about it, I had an opportunity, and I didn't do it. Well, when you do that, man, it's like I'm really thankful I took full advantage of that situation. Uh, the benefit of a letter is you can say it exactly the way you want to say it. It could be read and reread multiple times. It'll be kept. Something very simple you can do, just invite someone to church. Or invite someone on a, on a special service like Christmas Eve or like Easter. You know, if you invite them and they think that you're even just a halfway decent person, they likely will come. They're just waiting for an invitation. Why not invite them? You, you could do that. And then uh, there's a tool. It's called the Line Diagram. Um, next week, we're going to have a Discover Life class. It starts at 1015. It's kind of like how you become a member of Fellowship. I'm going to go through this line diagram. Uh, This is one of my primary tools. I can do it on a napkin. And you can show how God has sent Jesus as a demonstration of his love to fulfill God's justice. And you can do it on a napkin. It gives people a visual on on what it means to really know God. And if you'd like to see it or see it again, just come next Sunday at 1015. We're going to cover that briefly. I'm just going to walk it through with you. But friends, this is how the gospel goes forth. It goes forth with our words. But I want to show you something else from this verse It also goes forth from our lives. Notice chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You saw from our life what it means to believe. Obviously, we're imperfect. We need a Savior. And they lived out the gospel. And they did so in God's power. You, You rely upon God. You show that He's your strength. You have a joy in life. You have a meaning, purpose, sense of identity. You've got peace. Why? Because you have Christ. And when you live it out, people see the reality of Jesus. You need to know that the non-Christians in your life, what they think about Jesus is what they think about you. And if they see Jesus on display, and even when you fail, you're still trusting in him as Savior, that becomes a very clear picture of the gospel. You see, you share the gospel not only with your lips, but your life. And you have, your life is your platform for proclamation. That's why we want to cultivate a rich relationship with Jesus. Because we recognize we're the salt of the earth, we're the light, and God is shining His light and using people like you and me to bring the gospel going forth. And there's something about a genuine Christian walking in the Spirit. No, they're not perfect, but they're, they're real. It is super attractive. When I was a non-Christian, seeing the real deal, I'm like, they have something that I don't. And it was very evident. You know, this is how we're to live, with a sense of joy and peace and love with Jesus and and a heart for forgiveness. Now, let me tell you the problem. That is actually not how most Christians are known. The book Unchristian, written by David Kinnaman, he did a, they uh, took a lot of this Barna research. They've done a lot of research on people who've been born from 1965 to 2002 to find out what they really believe and, and how do they interface with Christians and, and know everything about them. And there are statistics that are extremely troubling. For instance, 9 out of 10 young outsiders, meaning outside of the church, outside of the faith, they, they do not believe, that's 87%, said the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. I think of Christians, and they're just judgmental. There's another statistic. Of the non-Christians surveyed, 84% said they personally know at least one committed Christian. Is that not cool or what? 
But listen to this. Yet just 15% thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. They knew Christians, but they're like, other than that they say that they're a Christian, may make an occasional appearance at church, there is nothing different about their lives. Jesus doesn't mean much. And that misses the full intent of the gospel, right? Friends, you and I need to be known for Christ. About, we're about redemption and hope and love and joy. We, we're known for what we're against. We need to know for what, be known for what we are for, namely who we are for, and that is Christ, and all that he brings to life and the importance of knowing him. You see, how we live tells others what we truly believe. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said it very simply this way. Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, then leaving the results to God. You and I, we're just called to be faithful. You plant the seeds. God is the one who changes hearts. You can't do it. It has nothing to do with you. It's his power at work. But you and I are called to be faithful. Friends, the big aim of today is that we are a church that is mobilized. I would like everyone reaching out to at least one. I want you to be thinking about the, the unsaved person in your family, in your wor- at work, at school, and be intentionally praying and looking how you could reach, to, reach out to them. See, how do we share the gospel? We do it with our words, and we do it with our way of life. You know, if you saw someone drowning, would you respond? Absolutely. But the problem is we don't see or we refuse to see or we become so complacent that there are people that are literally alienated from God. Their life is crying out. And we're like, no, we don't have any awkward conversations. Not a big deal. And we pass them by. Doesn't make sense. What we need is God to give us eyes to see and a heart that really hungers to see people as they are so that they really know God for who he is. This morning I'd like to ask if you would do something for me. I'd like to ask if you'd just be willing to stand up. So would you? Would you stand up? And I want you to turn and I want you to face those doors. Could you do that? Just turn around. Don't look at me. Not much to look at. But I want you to look at those doors. You walked through them this morning. But when you walked out those doors, you were walking out into your mission field. You see, we're either missionaries or we are a mission field. And people are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. And that means you and me, for this is our time. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. And God, we ask that you would stir our hearts and give us a vision to see people as they are and to see us as ambassadors of Jesus, loving you and loving people and caring enough that they would know the truth about you. And so, Lord, for the person who has come here today, and perhaps they've never understood the gospel, but having heard the gospel... They now believe, or would they just simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from self and sin, and I believe in Jesus, and I trust you with my life. And Lord, for all of us, would you accomplish your work for your glory in our lives? Only you can do it, and we ask that you will in Jesus' name. Amen.